If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 1. About a, about a month ago, uh, we were out camping, uh, tent camping. Does anybody do tent camping here? Yeah, yeah with kids, it's a lot of fun. Yay. No, <laughs> I actually, we do have a lot of fun, right? We have a lot of fun. And so we were out tent camping over at San Clemente Beach, and uh, we love it there, and it was a, we had a great time it was some, with some old friends and uh, you know what happens at San Clemente, if you've ever been there, uh, even any beach camping, uh, when the sun starts to set, everybody rushes to the beach, right? It's kind of like those moments, those times where, uh, you know, like we're going to experience God in this powerful way and the sun's going to set. And so uh, me and my friend Dan, uh, we were walking down towards the cliff area. And if you've ever been there, there's like these giant cliffs and then there's a lifeguard station and then there's this fence and kind of everybody kind of hangs on the fence and watches and the water and everybody goes, ooh, ah, when the sun goes down and then you walk back to your camp. So we were down there and, and we were just talking and chit-chatting and, um, and all of a sudden all these people start coming, all the kids on their bikes, you know, all the kids on their scooters, their greasy, dirty hair, smelling like campfire. Um, and, uh, and they walked up and, and so Dan and I were standing here and then there was another guy on the other side of Dan. And so Dan and I were talking and we were just, you know, catching up on some stuff and uh, and then this guy next to him goes, hey, man, can I bum a cig off you? You know, you got a cig? And he kept saying, like, cig, cig, like, you know, it's just a weird cig, cig, man. And so Dan looks at him, and he's looking at me, and he looked over, and he goes, oh, man, you know, I haven't smoked in 25 years, and, uh, you know, I just don't do that anymore. And, and in his mind, he's thinking, you know, I just want to watch the sunset and just kind of sit here and, and enjoy what's going on. And so the guy, you know, so he looked over at the guy, and then, and then he just kind of, yeah, okay, no, I don't have it, sorry. Um, then we watched the sun go down and it was very uneventful that night because there was a huge cloud cover. So then we ended up walking back to camp and about two hours later, we're sitting around the campfire. We just finished making s'mores. So all the kids are hyped up on sugar, you know, and they're just like, you know, running all over the place. And all the adults are sitting around going, I can't wait till they go to sleep. Um, and as we're sitting around, the conversation starts happening. It slows down. You know how that happens. And everybody's talking. And all of a sudden, it's quiet. And you just hear the, you know, the blaze of the campfire and the little crackles of the wood. And, um, and Dan looks over at us, and he says, guys, man, I blew it. And we're like, you know, what's going on? What happened? He goes, you know, when that, that guy down there uh, at the beach, you know, we were watching the sunset. He goes, when he, when he asked for, for me for a cig... Um, you know, and I told him, no, I don't smoke. And he goes, I feel like I offended him. And then, and then I felt like, you know what, the Holy Spirit, like, I should have talked to him. And I didn't. And he just sat there for a second and said, man, I, I really, why didn't I say anything to him? And at that very moment, uh, out of the darkness comes this guy, and he has this handful of, uh, of these huge pine cones, and he throws them in the fire, and the fire goes, Whoosh, and he goes, Rawr. uh, and, uh, and all these, and he goes, hey, free pine cones. And, and, and then all of a sudden, Dan looks over and he goes, that's the guy. <laughs> and the guy stood there and he said, hey, man, I got you guys some pine cones. I don't know, can, can I, you know, can I have something to eat? And, uh, and so Dan's just dumb, like he's just going, oh my gosh. Okay, is this my like second chance of redemption here, <laughs> right? And so uh, all of a sudden he gets up and we get up and we, we pull him over to the trailer and open, him, open up the back of our, our car and I'm just going through and I'm like, what do you like? And he's like, oh, that, that. And I'm like, you like those? He's like, yeah, I'll take anything right now. And you know someone's hungry when they eat all that kid crappy food. And, uh, and so I'm just piling him up with food, sharing the love of Jesus with him. And I said, brother, man, can we pray for you? 
And man, we prayed over him. And, you know, he didn't make a decision for Christ. I don't know where he was spiritually with the Lord. Um, but God moved in his heart. God moved in this guy. And we got, we got to do what God had called us to do. But for Dan, Dan struggled with that. Because he had the opportunity. God had called him out to do something, right? And then he blew it. And then God kind of redeemed him in a sense and brought him back and said, okay, here's your second chance, man. And he took it on. Why? Because God has a purpose for our life. God has a reason that you're here, that you exist in this place and time, at this moment in time, uh, here living in Corona, working where you're working or not working where you're not working, right? Or wherever you're at in your neighborhood, that house that you live in, that apartment, that mobile home, that trailer, wherever it is that you live, there is a reason for it if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it said, or listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. So this is Paul, and he's giving, uh, he's talking to, to the church, and he's saying this. He's telling these guys, he says, hey, I want you to understand, I want you to be confident in something. And this is what he says in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says this, be confident of this very thing. I love this, that he who, be, who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, last week, last week we talked about this idea that God calls us out, right? And I believe that God calls everyone out. I don't believe God picks one person and not another. He calls everyone out. He says, I want you to come and follow me. Anyone who is thirsty, come and drink of this water, and our response is, how we respond to that, right, how we respond to his calling dictates the rest of our life, dictates our eternal salvation. If we respond and say, and we hear the calling and we follow and we say, yes, Jesus, that's where I want to go, praise God. If we say no, which many have, then we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we don't get to spend eternity in heaven with him. We're separated from him until we do say yes. And so God calls us, we respond, remember? And he says that I choose you. He has chosen us before we chose him. He said, you know what? I have a plan for your life. I have a reason for you to live. And then he chooses us out, and then he gives us purpose and reason to live. So he chooses us out, and, and then he says, but I choose you for a reason. And I'm working in you to create in you or to make you a person, a constant state of being transformed into being like Jesus Christ. So we, we answer the call. We say, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. And he says, good. Now that you're following me, this is who I want you to be like, my son Jesus. And then we go, that's really hard. Yeah. Because that means I have to change. Yeah. Right? And so that's what this verse is saying is this, is this whole idea of this process that God is completing in us this work. This movement. Uh, in Psalm chapter 57, verse 2, he says this. He says, I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose to me. I love that. He says, I call to God the most high, God who fulfills his purpose to me. See, even though God's huge, or we talked about that last week, God is huge, he's humongous. But he fulfills his purpose in each and every one of us. He fulfills it. He knows what it's going to be. And it's right there. And he shows us if we're intimately involved and we have a relationship with him. If we don't, if we're not connected with God, we don't know what he wants. Right? We're kind of doing our own thing. And our life is frustrating. And our life is actually, there's a lot of tension. 
Because we're trying to live for Christ, but we're also trying to live for ourselves. And we can't do that. So, so he says, you know what? I want to fulfill my purpose in you. Psalm 138.8 says this. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He says it again. Lord, your love is eternal. And then it says this. Do not abandon the work of your hands. This is to David when, uh, when David was in sin. And David committed adultery and murder. And he knew that God was working in him. He knew that God had called him to do something huge and something big in his life. Even, maybe even something small in his life. But he said, you know what? God, please do not abandon the work of your hands. Don't abandon the work you're doing in me. Because you are the only one that can fulfill my purpose, my reason for existence, and my reason for living. And so you have this picture of God. And I get this, you know, like there's a reason we exist. I don't know about you, but that's exciting for me. Like, I'm not just something that grew and then all of a sudden I'm here for no reason and I just kind of take up space and resources and then when I'm done, I die, right? There's actually a reason and a purpose. There's actually, I can participate with God for something higher than myself. I can actually be a part of something on an eternal scale. That's what God is calling you and I to, every single person in this room this morning. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? Turn your Bible over to John 15, to the left. Uh, and we talked a lot about this verse last week. And in John 15, verse 16, he says this. He says, remember, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, I chose you first. Neener, neener, neener. Um, you get no credit. <laughs> it's not like you found God. <laughs> He's like, oh, surprise. I didn't know you were there. He's like, no, I, I chose you. And then he says this, but I chose you and, don't forget the and, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Uh-oh. So he chose us for a reason and a purpose. That word um, appointed can be the word commissioned. Like he actually commissioned us like an officer. That's kind of cool. It actually could be the word purposed. So he purposed me. So, so in him choosing me, the purpose of that, the reason for that, because he saw something in me, and he knows me better than myself, and he knows what I'm capable of, and he knows what I can do when I allow him to move through me. And he also knows what I can't do when I don't allow him to move through me. And so here he says, I want you to know that I purposed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I chose you to go and bear fruit. So the question is, well, what's fruit? What's fruit in our life? You know, if you, uh, I, we used to live in a house that had a bunch of fruit trees. You go out to the fruit tree, and a lemon tree has lemons, an orange tree has oranges, uh, a pomegranate tree has pomegranates, right? You know what kind of tree is, what kind of fruit. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what kind of fruit am I growing in my life? More specifically, when Jesus talks about this, and Paul talks about this, it's this idea of this. Our fruit that comes out of our life is our godly attitudes, right? Many of us have godly attitudes, many of us don't. When things go wrong, do we whine and complain? Do we blame God? Do we think, oh, these situations are horrible, what am I gonna do, I don't trust God? Okay, that's an immaturity thing. We, growing and having fruit is having that godly attitude of being right with God, of understanding, is also righteous behavior. 
right? In situations, I understand what's right to do, and I understand what God wants me to do. If I'm on the internet at midnight, guys, and a little website pops up, and I go, oh, wow, I wonder what that is. That's kind of interesting. Oh, ooh. You do understand? My righteous behavior, that's the fruit in it. My praise to God, my response to him by the things that he's done in my life. How am I responding? When I come in this morning, am I thanking God for this week? And I'm just saying, man, God, we praise you for all the things you're doing. Man, it's amazing what's going on. Or are we like, oh, man, I had a bum week this week. Can't believe this happened, this happened, this happened. We're not praising God. We're looking at the negative. What about leading others to Jesus? Let me ask you this, and and this is just a self-evaluation. Think of how long you've been a Christian, and and I'm not trying to throw guilt on here, but just the truth. No, I am trying to throw guilt on you. When's the last time you led someone to Christ? When's the last time God had called you to do something with someone in your neighborhood or someone in your family, and you were like, ah, you know what, I don't want to bug them. Man, I'm glad Jesus didn't go on the cross and go, man, you know what, I don't want to bug mankind. I just, you know, they, they might get offended. I don't. Ah, yeah, you know what, Father? I, I, think, I think we'll just let them go. I'll go to hell. I mean, really, the reality of that, think about that. He's called us to this. If you were chosen, there's no out. You were chosen to bear fruit, you and I. Now, here's the thing. Some of us think it's, oh, man, that's hard, that's difficult, I can't do that. Well, it may be until you get through it and realize when God chooses you, he has the best possible options for you. The options you're currently living with stink. The ones that he has are what he's created you to do. So you're constantly battling what he's created you to do and what you want to do. You ask yourself which one is better. How's that working for you? How's that working for you? And so you have this whole picture of God saying, I'm calling you out. I called you to bear fruit. But he's also called us for something else. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, he says this, and I love this. He says, for the grace, uh, verse 8, for the grace you have been, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. First of all, we need to understand, and I need to make clear, There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. God isn't saying you need to come here and do all these things to earn your salvation. You can care less. Your works are like dirty rags to him. Just just to be honest. It's just, it's like, oh, wow. So you can't go in the mirror and look at yourself and go, wow, I am so spiritual. Man, I went went and I fed the homeless today. God, I deserve heaven. God, I'm so good. Look at how spiritual. I read my Bible today. Yep, five minutes, but I read it. I prayed to you at at dinner time. I thanked you, so you owe me. I've been going to church for 50 years. You owe me, God. I'm entitled. Okay, God doesn't work that way. He says, you know what? It doesn't matter what you do. We don't do works to earn salvation. We do works because of salvation. Because when you love somebody, your response to them is to please them. Your response to them is out of your heart and out of the abundance of the goodness that's been done for you and I, we respond to God, right? And we say, God, thank you so much. How could I not serve you with my life? I have nothing left. You're everything I have. Take my family, take my job, take whatever I have and use it how you want me to use it. Take my house, take whatever it is, God. It's yours. It's yours. And that's what he's calling us to. And so he says, remember, it's not of your works. And then he says this in verse 10, I love this. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. You and I 
are his workmanship. The church is his workmanship. This word workmanship is this, this idea of this incredible uh, creation. It's actually the word poema, and it's, it's also like a masterpiece. It's a work of art. It's epic in proportion. Because God created you and I for a purpose, for a reason, okay? And so he says, what is it? For we are his workmanship, we were created, it's this work of art, created in Christ Jesus for what? What does it say? Tell me, what does it say? To do good works. Good works. Not bad works. Not selfish works. Not what we want, what we like. Not what I think is right. But good works. The things that God has called us to do. And you know what? That's different for each and every one of us. I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know, but you do. And God wants you to step out and grow and mature and become like him more and more every day. And so that's the whole idea. So he says, um, so he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then I love this. It says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared this like, he said, you know what? This is what I want to see happen. This is what I want my church to do. This is what I want my people to do is to be partner with me to seek and save the lost. Not just to come in and sit in a seat and walk out. And then go, man, church was great. And then go home and just forget about it. And then next week, come back, man, I got my spiritual fill. Woo, let's go, woo. And then we go home and we, and we do nothing. We don't even think about it. It's, it's subsided in our life. It's not a 24-7 thing. It's more of a Sunday thing. See, that's not, the, that's not what God has called you to do. He has chosen you out. He's chosen me out for a purpose to bear fruit, to do good works, and to live the life that he's called us to live. But he's also called us to something else. Turn to the left, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's called us to one more thing. Well, he's called us to a lot of things, but for this morning, one more thing. Look at verse 17, he says this. In verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that you and I, when he calls us out, remember, we've been, again, we've been, I'm going to say that over and over again because he's called you out. When you're in Christ, so when I respond to that and I say, that's me, he's called me out, I respond to it, this is me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You see that? You're not, you're not the same person. You are not the same person you were before you were called out. If you are the same person, something's missing. If you are no different than when he called you out, if your life looks exactly the same, if your friends didn't notice a change, if your wife didn't notice a change, if your kids didn't notice, something is missing. Does this make sense to you? Because you become new, it changes you. And I can tell you story after story where this is true. I'm, I'm going to pick on them. I just saw them here this morning. The Fitchews are here. And um, I, I mentioned them last week too, but, but Nate and Sarah, their life is, has drastically transitioned from what it used to be. And, and he's probably getting mad if I share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, I love you, bro. He has this, um, this thing in his garage, and it's full of beer can tabs the, or pop bottle tops. And that used to be his, his glory trophy. 
People would come over to his man garage and they would drink till they pass out. And he'd look over there and put another bunch of uh, huge, you know, a, bu- a bunch of those uh, lids in, 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 in that glass container. Yeah, look at, look at how much I've drunk. And now he looks at it and he goes, look at what God has forgiven me from. And now it's his, he looks at it and he says, praise God, he saved me and my family from this. Praise God that he did these things. And that's what God does. He changes us. He molds us. And so he's become a new creation. Him and his wife have become a new creation. And then it says this, Behold, uh, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Okay? So now all of that is gone. God reconciled us. Reconciled means right relationship. I've created a right relationship between you and God, okay, so now things are right between us, okay, that's very important, and so he says, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and then it says this, and has given us, those who took up the call, the ministry of reconciliation, the word ministry is service, the job of reconciliation, our job is to help reconcile people to God, Isn't that awesome? That he has given you the responsibility where you're at to take the stories of old and put them in a new story and say, this is what God did. This is how God took a family that partied all the time to a family that parties with Jesus all the time. (laughs) This This is, yeah, this is the story of what God does over and over. It's the ministry of reconciliation. He changed it. And then it says this, verse 19, that is that to, uh, that is to, uh, that to himself, not imputing their tr- trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20 is my favorite. Now then, because of all this, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so if you're here this morning, that's why this church exists. Because we are ambassadors of Christ and we're imploring to you who don't know Jesus to be reconciled with him, to have a right relationship with him. That's what it's about. And so there's this picture that we're ambassadors. We're representing him. So we bear fruit. He's called us to bear fruit, right? He's called us to be reconcilers. He's called us to all of these different things to move in this way. He's called us to good works. So the question I have to ask myself, and hopefully the question you ask yourself this morning is, how am I doing with this? Really? How's my fruit? I mean, if we're all supposed to bear fruit, really, what's your tree look like? What's your tree look like? Like if we were all to sit down and say, hey, let's really take an honest look at our lives. Let's just strip everything away, strip away the, hey, brother, how you doing? I love you, man. Yeah, good, good. You too. I hope you're doing great, great. Bye. And we sat down and we said, really, do you look at my life? Am I worthy to be called a believer? I mean, have I? And it's not that, again, that earns it. That doesn't earn it, but it's a reflection of my heart, right? Am I, do I have the fruit in my life? Do you see the fruit? Do you see it? Because if you don't, something's missing. Do you have the good works? Or are you just coming and sitting in a seat and leaving? Maybe you serve somewhere else. I don't know, but the point is, are you serving Christ? Are you doing anything? Are you doing any good? Or are you just taking up room? Are you just taking up room? 
God wants us to be in a place where we're living for him, where there's good works working through us, where there's fruit in our life. Let me ask you this. How, how are you doing with your representing? What if we asked your, you know, your boss at work, hey, how does so-and-so represent Christ? Does he do a good job or is he always late or what's going on? You know, not again, that, we really have to ask ourselves these questions because that's where the truth comes out. It's not in that we show up and we can say the right words and do the right things. It's in our life and what our life shows outside of these walls, guys. That's what matters. Because why? God wants to use us. He's called you to something bigger. It's not so I can just get down on you and tell you, oh, you're supposed to. But the reality is, is when you turn your life over to God, he uses you in such a way that you'll be blown away. But if you continue the path that you're on, you're going to get frustrated, angry, disillusioned, feel entitlement, and eventually walk away from Christ because you're thinking it's about you. He has a purpose for your life. It's no accident. But that purpose calls for change. That purpose calls for change in every one of us. And everybody, don't use the word change. People tell me, don't use the word change in a sermon. People don't like the word change. Change? I, I don't care. You know, sorry, change. If you don't like it, change. You got to change. Change the way you think about that, okay? Uh, that was good. I just made that up. <laughs> But, but really, think about it. We've got to change. We've got to say, um, God, what do you want me to do? I, I work in Fuse, and I love married couples, and I get to spend a lot of time with married couples. And man, we have a, these incredibly healthy marriages in this church. And it's so fun to watch these incredibly healthy marriages minister and help marriages that aren't healthy sometimes. And some of the ones I see, uh, and I'm, uh, more when, when people are newly married. And especially when they're newly married and they haven't been through premarital counseling of any kind, they just said, hey man, let's go to Vegas, woo! And they go and they get married and they're like, uh-oh. You know, they come back and they're, and they're like, oh, yeah, maybe I had one too many. And they're like, okay, we gotta make this work and praise God, I'm glad you're, you know, you're making it work and you gotta make it work because you've committed to each other and that's what God would want you to do. And so there's this whole picture going on, but, but imagine, imagine if you got married and imagine you came home on your wedding night and your wife's right there and all of a sudden you give her a big kiss and you're like, this is the night, baby. You know, I've been waiting for this. You start, And then she's like, okay, hold on a second. Um, I'm going to go home. You're like, what? She's like, yeah, because I miss my mom and dad. She's like, what? Yeah, I really miss them. My bed at home is so comfy and, you know, the way my mom makes coffee in the morning. And so, see ya. And she walks out the door and you're just left there as a husband going, what's going on? We got married. Right? We laugh at that. We think, oh, why would someone do that? Or maybe when two people come together, and I've seen this one happen, and they, uh, they, they don't want to put their finances together. And so if you do this, sorry, I, I just think it's kind of weird. Um, so you get married, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, I work hard, and, and so I don't want my money going to you, because you're going to spend it on clothes. And she's like, well, I don't, you're going to spend it on this. And, and then, so there's separate bank accounts, and what you don't realize, it's all one anyway, <laughs> you guys. And so there's this constant battle. You're not living married. You're still trying to live single. If you're on your honeymoon, you want to go home and sleep with your parents, you're still living the single life. Or the guy that comes in and says, hey, man, I love being married to you, but man, I met this girl at the mall. She's hot. you mind if I go out with her? It's like, what? Are you kidding me? Because when you're married, you make adjustments. And if you don't make adjustments, your marriage isn't going to be worth anything. you got to change. 
you got to do something because the relationship will fall apart at the core because the things it stands for and the things it's required to make it happen aren't happening. And that's what Jesus says. These things are required of you, right? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Well, deny myself. Let me see it. Let me, let me see if I can define that. Defi- okay, does that mean I like, give up one or two things? Do I have to give up my whole life? Yeah. Really, Jesus? Yeah. I don't know if I can do that. That's really hard. I might have to give up everything. Yeah, you do have to give up everything. But I don't want to do that. Okay, well, see where that'll get you. Jesus has the big plan. He understands. He created us for a purpose. He created us for these things, and now you and I have to make adjustments. He's calling you to purpose, but if you don't make those adjustments, things are going to happen. So you may ask yourself, well, what adjustments are you talking about? So I wrote some down. I wrote some adjustments down that I think some of us struggle with and some that I've heard of. And, and here's some adjustments that, that I think you need to make. What kind of adjustments? Well, in, in, maybe in my relationships. Maybe in my relationships I need to make it. You know that friend who is always dragging you down? You know that person? I need to make adjustments. You know um, that business associate that is unethical? But that's my job. Yeah, you need to make adjustments. You know that, that guy you're settling with to fill the void of loneliness? Really? What about that person you are constantly enabling in your life? What about the group of people you party with on the weekends and think that your kids don't notice? Really? What about if you're married and having an affair and it's not even physical yet, but you know what's going on? you got to make adjustments, he says. you got to live my way, not your way. What about in your circumstances? Maybe your finances aren't so good, so you think, okay, finances aren't so good, so you know what, I'll cheat a little bit off the top. You know, I'll cheat on my taxes just a little bit so I can get, you know, the extra income because I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to take things in my own hands because circumstances call for it. Maybe I'll cheat a little bit with my clients. You know, I won't tell them I'm making this extra sales. I'll just kind of work the numbers a little bit. You know. You know what you're doing. And because of your circumstances, you sacrifice. Maybe you're one of those people who really think that everything bad happens to you. And so you're a victim and you're stuck in this victim mentality. Oh, yeah, God, oh, I knew that would happen. Oh, I'm just a victim. Oh, this is horrible. Oh. And over and over and over again, you always think of the negative and think of the worst thing to happen, and then all of a sudden it happens, and you just confirmed. And so now the only thing you're positive about is that you're negative. <laughs> Your circumstances don't dictate who you are. Maybe you're someone who says, you know what, I can live with him even though we're not married. I mean, we wouldn't make it financially if we weren't together. Make adjustments, marry him. Make adjustments, marry her. Make adjustments is what he says over and over again. In my commitments, and these are ones we probably never say but truly believe, right? Um, I love my kids more than God, and I'm more committed to them. Man, this is one I struggle with, guys. I, God gave Michelle and I incredible kids, and sometimes they are on the altar, and sometimes they're on the throne, and man, that is, a, that is a struggle. But I have to understand, in right relationship with God, he is number one, not my kids. What is best for my God will be what's best for my kids. So having them out every night of the week in sports and never connecting, never bringing them to you guys, that's not going to work. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill your kids. Oh, they're going to be socially well-rounded. And not walking with God. Right? And so we cannot put 
our kids in that place. We have to be the examples in our commitments. I am committed to making everyone else like me. I am committed to living my life to please other people. I am committed to my job above my family. I'm committed to nothing because I want to keep my options open. Right? How many people just commit to nothing? Well, I'll just keep my options open. This is cool. I'll just slide through life. Keep, I don't want to do anything. Make adjustments. In my thinking, I need to change. I need to make adjustments. My prejudices. Don't think you're not prejudiced. How do you prejudge people? In my methods, how do I accomplish things? How do I do things? In my potential, in my intellect, in my past, my worth, my security, my way, my logic, my experiences, my upbringing, my excuses. And God says, you know what? You need to make adjustments in the way you think, in my beliefs. Here's one. You know what? I really believe that good people go to heaven. Do you? Who's good? Everybody needs Jesus. And if we're constantly thinking that it's just, well, if good people go to heaven, then I don't really need to say anything because everybody's pretty good. I mean, I haven't really met any really bad people. Even guys in prison I met, they're great people. They've made a couple mistakes here and there. Right? Everybody's got some good, right? That's not the point. The idea is this, right? Not everybody goes to heaven. And we have been called to partner with God with him. I know what the Bible says, but I think, I don't think God can really use me. I'm worthless, right? I live by how I feel, right? There's no way God can use or love somebody like me. I could probably get away with this and nobody will ever know. Me and God are good even though I haven't prayed or read his word in a couple of years. See, we're disillusioned. And God says you need to make adjustments in your beliefs, you need to make adjustments to fix what's going on because it's not going to work. Here's the last one in my actions. The reality is I don't pray. The reality is I, I don't worship. The reality is I don't give. I don't serve. I don't even try. I don't even think about God and I don't involve him in any of my decisions. Because that's really how some of us are acting. And yet we say we're Christians. We have to make adjustments. Now, here's the good news. Any adjustment we make is for our good. Any adjustment that you and I make is for our good. God is calling us to a better life. Not an easier life, a better life. And he's calling you to make those adjustments and say, I'm going to be different. Now, I have a story of my friend Andy and Janet Smith. And uh, Andy and Janet are, are Fuse coaches. They kind of oversee some of our Fuse tables and... Um, I've known Andy for this last year and just have been blessed by his friendship, and uh, God has just been moving uh, in Andy and Janet both in an amazing way in our ministry. Um, but years ago, they used to sit up towards the top, not to say that sitting up towards the top is bad, but they used to sit up towards the top and they would come in uh, right on time and leave right on time. they get their church in, and they didn't really um, get connected, they were just kind of showing up and then God got a hold of them. God began working and moving in their hearts. He says, you know, we got to do something. And this is what Andy told me. He said, you know, when, it, when, when God started moving, he felt like God couldn't use him. God couldn't use Janet. That's what he thought. And the reason is, is because they both came from broken backgrounds. They were both divorced and they came together and now they have a blended family. And they thought, what can we offer? I mean, look at how we've messed up. 
Look at, look at all the things we've been through and we're going to go help other people. And the lie of Satan was at the core of that. Because once they conquered that, that was their adjustment. To believe and have faith and go, you know what? God can use you. And in your weakness, God makes you strong. And through the experiences that they've had, and through the struggles of, of having this inadequacy in them, God has tenfold blessed them to minister to couples struggling through the same thing. That's how God works. Because he had a purpose. He had a reason for their life. He knew what was going on. And so far, Andy and Janet had no idea that all of a sudden transitioning from them from sitting up to the front row, sitting up in the back row to serving in such a capacity. They would have never thought years ago that that would have happened, but God knew. And they were willing to make the adjustments. Are you willing to make the adjustments? Are you willing to do what it takes to have God use you where you need to be used and to say, God, you know what? I'm here to serve, not to be served. Because that's what he's calling you and I to. Turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to tell a little, well, not a little story, but a story about a guy named Peter. And man, I can relate to Peter because Peter is just one of those guys that is always getting in trouble. So here's the story is Jesus is about to get crucified and he knows it. And so he's getting with his guys and he's preparing them for this time. He spent three years with these disciples, these guys who are basically going to uh, take his message to the world after he's gone. And the guys have no idea what's going on. And so in verse, uh, Mark 14, verse 26, it says this, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus looks at his guy and says, I know you've been with me for three years, but you need to know, tonight, I'm going down. And when I do, you're all going to bail. That's really what he's saying. You're, you're, you guys are going to be out of here. Verse 28, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Verse 29, Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be right? Peter's like, no way, God. I'm like, yeah, woo, I love Jesus. I'm right behind you. I'll get my sword out. Like, whatever. They're not going to get you. Like, no way. And Jesus is like, Peter. And Peter's like, there's no way. Why? Because he felt at that moment in time that there's no way he could ever deny his Lord and Savior. You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way? Then Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter's like, yeah, right. I mean, really, think about that. There's no way I'm going to deny. I've followed you for three. I'm, I'm your guy. I'm your main man. I'll do anything for you, Jesus. And then verse 31, Paul, Peter says this, but he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said Likewise. This is a whole picture. And then later, Jesus goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, hey, guys, can you stay awake? This is a huge night for me. And they're like, yeah, sure. Je mm, they're asleep. And he's like, guys, come on. I'm about to die here. Yeah, we know. Je oh, we're tired. Isn't that like us? Turn over to Luke 22, and listen as the story continues. Luke chapter 22. So they come, and they get Jesus, and they arrest him. And... And as they arrest him, they're taking him away. And it says this in verse 54. It says, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. That's where they would, that's kind of like the courthouse, the courtyard. They'd had to go in there to make sure they could legally put Jesus to death and put him to trial like they wanted to. 
And so they brought him to the high priest's house, and it says, but Peter followed at a distance. You picture this. They take Jesus, they arrest him, and all of a sudden, is Peter by his side. Peter's like following behind what's going on. Oh my gosh, this is real. He wasn't kidding. What are they doing to him? Verse 55, now when they, had, uh, they, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also is with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're saying. Three times. In the midst of the courtyard and these people, Jesus is right across the courtyard, and then listen to what it says. Immediately, while he was speaking those words, while he was denying Jesus with his mouth, immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine that look. All of a sudden in the midst of, you know, here's Jesus in trial, all these people, all this action and activity, and the rooster crows, Peter realizes and then looks, and Jesus is looking right at him. Now, I don't think Jesus was being like, yeah, like I told you. Or, you know, I think Jesus was like, like, I know. I knew. And look what happened. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly, bailed. It's like, I'm out of here. I got to go. I can't believe I did this. Boom. And he goes on thinking, I'm worthless. I'm nothing. What am I going to do? Jesus is gone. Later, right, what happens? They come, they crucify Jesus. Jesus is put to death. They go to the tomb. John and Peter are there. John believes that. John's like, yeah, he was raised from the dead. Peter still doesn't believe it. And then we get into John chapter 21. And look at this with me. John chapter 21. So Peter's back doing what he used to do. He's fishing. He's out in a boat. He used to be a disciple. He used to be following after Jesus. He used to be doing what he was loved to do, the, the eternal work of God for his life, and now he's back to fishing. And he's out in the boat, and he took a bunch of guys out there, and they were fishing all night, and then all of a sudden this guy shows up on the shore and says, hey, did you catch anything? And uh, they look at him, and they go, no, <laughs> we didn't. And then all of a sudden the guy goes, well, then throw your net on the other side of the boat. Yeah, right, creepo, what do you know? Right? I mean, wouldn't you think that we've been out here all night trying to catch fish and you want to go to the right hand of the boat? So they throw the net over the right, and all of a sudden all these fish go in and they realize, oh my gosh, is this Jesus? And at that moment, John says, is this, it's the Lord. And as they begin to row back, Peter puts on his garment and jumps in the water and starts swimming. Because the last time he saw Jesus, right? Maybe the last look was that look when he denied him. Or that look when he was on the cross. And so he's swimming to the shore. He's coming up and he gets up on the shore and he pulls up the net with all these fish in it. And there Jesus is. And the picture is so beautiful because Jesus is sitting down and he's talking to him. And they don't, they're, they're afraid to ask him if it's him, but they know it's him. And Jesus is cooking them breakfast. He says he's cooking them bread and fish. And he put out the coals and he's cooked Jesus, creator of the universe, cooking breakfast for these guys. Think about that. And so all of a sudden he's cooking breakfast and then he says this, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, 
son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And we, we probably assumed that he was picking up the fish. Saying, Simon, do you love me? Like, are you going to go back to this? Is this really what you want? Are you going to go back to this fishing? Simon, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? Because he had denied him three times. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Because Peter knew he did the exact thing that he didn't want to do. And he denied Jesus and he felt like he had no worth. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes back and Peter realizes that he still loves him. Then it says this. And then it says in, uh, in verse 17, it says, Jesus said to him then, feed my sheep. And then verse 18, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when, we had, when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, you got to make adjustments. You got to make adjustments. Are you going to do it? People, this morning, are you going to make adjustments? Are you going to make adjustments in your life? God has called you to something amazing. Are you going to adjust your life to him? Or are you going to continue the way you are? Because if he's called you out, if he's chosen you, if he's called you to partner with him, then you need to make the changes to make that happen. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, I'm going to call you out and say, you know what? If you need to make adjustments, this is the time to do it. If it's your pride, if it's a relationship, if it's the way you think, the beliefs that you have, if it's the core things in your heart that you cannot let go of, then go, God, I need your help. Get these out of me, and he will meet you there. Will you make those adjustments this morning? Will you say, God, I don't want to live this life. I've been chosen. I've been called to something huge, and I want to find my purpose and reason for living because I know that it's the best for me. And so when I choose to make those adjustments, I know that you will be able to use me. Do that this morning. Do that this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to pray. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray if, if God is moving that those adjustments need to be made. And then I'm going to ask you to come forward and talk with someone about those so that we can hold you accountable as a church. But there's also some other people in this room who maybe have never heard of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never had a relationship with him and you've never made that commitment to give your heart and life to him and this would be a chance for you to do that. To say, I no longer want to live the way I'm living but I want to live the way you want me to live because I know you've created me for something greater and I've tried and it's not working and I need you, God. I have to have you in my life and maybe that's why you're here this morning because God has chosen you and he's calling you out in a good way and saying, come, live the life I've created you to live. Experience me like you've never experienced me before. You can know and have a relationship with the living God. So what we're gonna do right now is I'm gonna pray. And I'm gonna pray, number one, that God moves and if you need to make adjustments, you make adjustments. Number two, I'm gonna pray, if you wanna ask Jesus in your heart that you would do that this morning and you can just lead and, or follow in my lead uh, in that prayer, and then we'll see what God does in your heart.
Would you bow with me and pray? Jesus, first off, I, I, I want to pray and ask that if there's anyone in this room where they know there's something specific in their life that you're showing it to them right now, Lord, that you're bringing it in front of their, in their mind, that they know without a doubt that this is the adjustment that they need to make, Lord, that you would make that apparent. And I would pray and ask God that right now that that person, that your spirit would move and let them know as hard as it is, kind of like ripping a tree out with the roots and everything and all that goes with it, that it tears and it hurts, but to know that it's the best for them, that you, you would get that out of them and that they would release it to you and come to you clean, willing and ready to do what you've called them to do. Next, God, I just want to pray because I know there's some people who don't know you in this room tonight. They've never had, they've never asked you into their heart and into their life. They've never made that commitment to you. And so I pray right now, God, that you would begin touching them. You would begin showing them. You would bring to their mind the things that got them here and that you would assure them that your spirit is in all of this. Now, if you're a Christian in this room, I want to ask you to just be praying with me that if there's anyone around you that needs to make this decision, just be praying that they would. All right, right now, if you are one of those people that you want to ask Jesus into your heart, it's very simple. All you have to do is just pray with me and just mean this with everything that's in you. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my heart. I ask that you come and take all of that is within me, all of this sin, all of this brokenness, and take it away from me, God. I've tried to do it my way and it doesn't work. And I surrender myself to you. I feel your calling. I know you're there. And Lord, I know I don't know everything yet, but I, I know I need to follow you and I want to follow you. And so I surrender myself to you. I surrender my problems to you. I surrender my insecurities to you. I surrender my family. I surrender all the things that are holding me back. And I lay it at your altar, God. And I ask you to come into me and change me and make me a new creation because I want to live for you and I want you and I know you have what's best for me. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.